Welcome back to the basement, fellow music lovers. You're tuned into yet another exciting adventure with us here on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and uh, this isn't just any podcast, no siree. This is our 200th episode. 200 times we have gone into the breach and come out uh, somewhat unscathed. Not entirely, though. Um, you know you know who our guest is, Bob Boylan. Uh, we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, but first, you know... When we started this, this was uh, four years ago, four and a half years ago, I think. And you know Paul from this podcast. If you've been listening for a while, you know Andre. You haven't heard from him for a while. Uh, we were just starting to do this site thing, and then I was a big fan of podcasts, actually. Big fan of our guests' podcast, uh, All Songs Considered. And, uh, and Paul said just one day randomly, probably after a bunch of beers, said, hey, why don't we, uh, why don't we, why don't we do a podcast? And the immediate question was like, what would that podcast be? And uh, because we're not the brightest fellows, we said, well, let's just drink beer in a basement and let's review albums. And we did. And that led to a lot of good times for us, possibly a lot of uh, boring conversations for you, uh, some laughing, some yelling. I think there was even some crying a little bit in there. Uh, along the way, we've had people like Justin. We've had people like Aubrey, uh, who was there sort of from the beginning. Carrie. You hear from time to time now, and and uh, Adam uh, helped us out. Uh, now we've Eduardo and Patrick. Uh, you know Susie. You know we've we've had this crew of people that that has sort of helped this thing continue to build and build and build. And it wouldn't it's not it wouldn't be what it is without any of them. Uh, everything we do, uh, we learn from each other. That's sort of sort of our, our mo here. And. Uh, and so it just continued to develop. We took a little break after about a year um, because we realized we didn't know what we were doing and we came back. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like we could talk to people. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting in front of Nels Klein. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden, people like Nick and Amelia from Sylvanesta are saying, sure, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, this year, we've had like Robert Ellis, we've had Phil Cook, which was amazing. Um, bands you just heard. Um, Mail the horse. We've got the mystery lights coming up. We've got, you know, all these musicians uh, that we've talked about and now talked to a lot of them. Future Birds, one of my favorites. Those guys are amazing um, musicians and people. Uh, and, it, and so this thing has just continued to pick up steam. And so we've we've tried at least to uh, take it a little more seriously. And uh, this year, you know, we started targeting stuff and looking at what we were doing and, and what is going to be good to talk about. So that's why we get uh, stuff about uh, Beyonce's album, Kendrick's album. We have guests like Marcus Dowling, Mar- like Marcus Moore, um, Brianna Younger on here. Um, and uh, all in all, it has been, uh, up to this point, one of the best experiences of my life uh, outside of My Lady and My Cats. And, uh, and I, I think I can speak for everybody who's helped out on the way. You know, this has been this has been a, a good ride. And uh, so, when it came time to do this 200 thing, I said, "Okay, we we can go one of two ways. We can go back to stupid, or we can go balls out." And uh, we did not go back to stupid. We reached out. Uh, I've been acquaintances of Bob's for a few years. I think a few years. Everybody in the DC music scene probably is. And uh, reached out couple times actually to see uh, if we could make this happen almost happened for 150 not quite 
That was around there, Sweet 16 for All Songs Considered. And this time it just seemed to uh, work out. So uh, Mr. Boylan came by the basement uh, this past Sunday very graciously and uh, sat down and we had a chat about what I think we both think about music, why music drives us, uh, why, and, and I think it's a conversation about why music drives you. Now, you know, Bob is, besides being an actually really nice guy, he he sort of started all this. There, there weren't shows like this, uh, certainly not podcasts like this before All Songs Considered. Uh, this was the area when the era when the blogs were really coming up, and uh, I, I don't know, to my mind. Uh, I'm a little older, so if you're younger, you can you can point this out and uh, hit me up. But uh, I don't know to my mind that there were people doing this work, uh, this very good work, uh, the same quite the same way that he was doing it when he started uh, 16 years ago. And throughout that, as you'll hear him say in this, uh, he he sort of stayed true to that mission, and I think will continue to stay true. He is a, a tremendous asset to not just the musical community but the artistic community as a whole, uh, and. Uh, you know we're all we're all sort of here uh, because you know he had a good idea. And, you know may, maybe the soul of a band isn't a great idea. <laughs> Sorry, Bob, but uh, you know but he's had he had some really good ideas, and uh, one of them stuck was to to sit on a mic and uh, talk for a while about music. And so uh, that's what we do. And that's what we're doing. Uh, so without further ado, I will I will shut my yap here. And let's get to this episode here. So here you go. This is episode uh, number 200 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast, where we're sitting down with All Songs Considered's Bob Boylan. Okay. It happens here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Merely a two-word review, just a shit sandwich. I will roll the record up and go to talk about I'm, I'm there so if you're ready i'm there or here um, mr boylan how many uh after all these years how's it feel to be down in a, in a proper studio here <laughs> i like this basement <laughs> you do yeah 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 thor, good. It's, thor you, enjoyed you, it too you uh you must play a lot of music there's a great bass guitar nice little yeah. uh fender there and a nice little fender that fender i got when i was 16 wow so it is coming up on about 30 years old Nice Fender amp and a Vox amp. Yep. Yeah, we make, can, you can make some noise without the neighbors, huh? Yes, we can. It's <laughs> been a, it's been an interesting thing. We've had a couple people down here because I uh, I produce a couple podcasts. Uh, Odyssey, I don't know if you know him. So, oh yeah, 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 he's a rapper. Yeah, so right. he was down here uh, for another podcast that I produced, and he we talked briefly about him like using this as a rehearsal space, huh? Which was like, yeah, yeah, yeah you can do that. It's sort of why we got the place, like basically relatives and. My basement. Um, first of all, thank you for doing this. Pleasure. I know. I know you have a busy schedule. Uh, sometimes held up by ice cream machines. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Hugo emailed me and was like, 
oh man, what's, what's the ice cream machine? What's going on? It's a long story, but we decided to do a show about ice cream this week, and mm-hmm. uh, and so we made ice cream during the show. But uh, it's a long story. But basically, uh, we put the ingredients in, and, and they started to freeze before the turner would start to turn, and uh, and the turner wasn't happy. <laughs> <laughs> it was too frozen yeah, to it was turn. Sort of like oh, supposed okay. to put them in as it's turning and. Uh, we didn't do that. No radio trickery, though. Yeah, no, 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 just like mm, this ice cream is great. No, we did not do that. Yeah. Does it, does all songs have a foley artist on hand? Uh, we are our foley. <laughs> you are our foley artist. It's me and Robin, and that's period. That's end of sentence. Nice, and that's been that way since the beginning, right? Uh, no, I did the show. Uh, well, Robin always built the web pages. Robin Hilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, he well, the first year was me. Yeah, and uh, and whoever I can get to help build the mm-hmm. show because I didn't know HTML. And then uh, we hired Robin about a year in. That was 2001. The show started in 2000. Uh, and then um, we, uh, then I did the show. Basically, I would write a script every week. Uh, and I did that for about 10 years. Yeah. And I would uh, read my script and cut it. And uh, Robin would build a web page. And then we would do special shows where we would have guests and so forth. And those mm-hmm. were my favorites. They were just straight conversation shows. And they were my favorites. So at 10-year mark, we decided to uh, change up. And it would be a conversation show basically between me and Robin for the yeah. most part. And then uh, we would each bring three songs to the table. The other person wouldn't know what it is. And that's the show. Oh, yeah. So basically we don't know what each other's going to play. And we try to f- make it all fall into place as we're recording the show. Yeah. And I mean, and it, I think it has to be said uh, that, you know, in, in doing that, you guys and, and you like sort of created this whole weird genre. I mean, it, pre- it predated the, the, the blogs just by a little. Uh-huh. But the idea that uh, you would just be like, "Hey, I like this stuff. I'm not. I'm not going to critique it because I know a lot of people are like, oh, NPRs and down stuff.' And like, right. but that's your thing. You you don't uh, want to talk. I feel about- like spending my time on things I love. Yeah, that's there's so much stuff that I get, and I'd rather yeah. pick the three or four things a week I like. Yeah, yeah. And, and Chris Richards was down here actually, and we were talking about this, and we were like, uh, Chris Richards with the Post, and he was like, "Yeah, it's sort of." job is to be the lighthouse mm-hmm. there you go shine, way to put shine it. in the light on like all this good stuff which you know when we started this uh come from a critical background and a lot of people yeah. that i do this with are lawyers so they like to <laughs> <laughs> so they like to argue and it was and it was very much like this is what we like we treated it like sport yeah and as uh we're in the sixth year of the site the fourth year this will be the 200th episode of the podcast. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. That's amazing. Um, we have come around to sort of your way of thinking, I think. And it was just last year where we sort of rejiggered everything. And we're looking at like, listen to what we're doing. Listen to what you're doing, what yeah. uh, Greg and... Uh, and yeah, Jim. Like Todd, Greg and Jim. Yeah, yeah. For Sound Opinions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen to what they're doing and seeing like, okay, how... If the goal is to... Basically, is if the goal is to get people to love music more, because mm-hmm. I think I think that ultimately is what we're all doing, right? Um, that how do we serve that best? I used to, I mean, I think some of it comes has to do with age. Yeah, I feel like when I was younger, I really just wanted to tell everybody else that the music I love really was great, yeah, and the music that uh. You loved wasn't uh, well. It sucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, and, and right? that's what I mean. I mean that's what I mean and, by and, sport. And it was staking your ground. It was saying yeah. it was ba- basically defining who you were. Yeah, more than it was all about uh, who the artist was. When, the, when did that? When did that change? I, I literally just turned forty-four on Friday. When did that change for you? Well, I mean, 
I think when I became a journalist, as opposed to just a straight fan, yeah. for sure. I mean, I started in, at All Things Considered in '88 and would produce mm-hmm. music pieces for them. Um, and uh, and I feel like my job didn't feel like telling, you know, the one or two million people who were going to tune in what wasn't great. But I felt like, wow, let's champion things. Let's yeah. let's bring things to the table that we are excited about and we want you to know about. And it just felt like a waste of time to poo-poo a record. Now, now and right. again, if, you know, if some great band, U2 or REM, I'm just going to pick names sure, out of, a, sure. you know, bands that people love, uh, put out a record that was mediocre. Well, it's okay to say that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a different thing because yeah. they're in a different place. But I, I, I feel almost a responsibility with the quantity of music I started to get as a director of all yeah. things considered to get the stuff out there and get the stuff out there that I believed in yeah, and sp- and spend my days and hours and time making the best I can best case for why you might want to listen to it. Yeah. And I mean, in the process you've become not just like one of the most widely respected and visible tastemakers, but NPR literally like your show is Thanks. responsible for more sales than any other outlet. Period. Is that true? I don't. I don't know that. Yeah, but but yeah. I'll, I'll take it, it. It's actually true. It's you've created almost a little army of, <laughs> of, of people that, again, back to the idea of uh, it's sports, and, and you're like, I mean, I even see like people that we both know, like just tweeting yesterday, yeah. like uh, one of them was talking about car seat headrests, and right. they're like, how does something that bland get like so much press? I'm like, well, bland. Some, some people wow. think it's good. Yeah. A lot of people think it's good. The right people, like who have your platform, yeah. think it's good. Yeah, it's an extraordinary record. It is an extraordinary record. It is uh, one of my favorites this year. Yeah. I actually saw you at the uh, a show at DC Nine. Yeah, and you and this is something I don't know if people in DC or not in DC would know about this, but you are at shows every night. Yeah, pretty much mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> Um, sometimes a couple different shows, yeah. uh, but if it's something you really enjoy, you can look over and see you just bouncing <laughs> like a kid, which is it, kind it, of amazing. Um, because at that particular show, I was, you're on the right side of the stage, like DC nine, sort of like a yeah. oval, half oval, something. half oval. Yeah. You're on the right side. And I, I was actually shooting it on the left side and there was a kid right in the middle and he started playing a song and the kid started crying. Wow. Well, I mean, that's the power that Will yeah. Toledo holds, uh, those songs. And if if that had, you know, a common theme in the book uh, that we're going to get to in a minute, uh, you wrote, is how this stuff changes your life and mm-hmm. what you obsessed over and what it, how it defines you. And you got some interesting answers in that, I think. I, I finished it up last week. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, the name of the book is uh, Your Song Changed My Life. Did you read it uh, straight through or did you jump first to the chapters you loved? I, so, I, so for people who don't know, it's a book that basically it's 35, 36, if you include my chapter, yeah. uh, asking musicians about a song that changed their life. And uh, you can uh, just simply go to the, and to the artist you love first and then go through things and learn about artists you didn't know. But well, uh, uh, let, me, let me ask you, like, how did you intend it? Uh, I intended it to be anything that you wanted to take away from okay. it. So it's uh, less like a record, more like a collection of 45s. Yeah. Um, but that said, it's not a random order of right. stories. Uh, I, I started reading through it. and uh, but, yeah, one's, I, but one's not dependent on the other. Right, exactly. And, and that's what I got. I started reading through it, and I was like... Um, Got about halfway through, and I started to look and say, who else is in this book? And maybe I can check it out, the stuff um, that I wanted to hit. 
I think Michael Stipe was one of them. Uh, what did you think of Michael Stipe? He he picked uh, um, bubblegum music. Well, he talked a lot about bubblegum music, which is for those who don't know, is a kind of a a sort of bouncy, well, overly sweet uh, sort of music that was uh, popular in mm-hmm. the '60s and '70s, early early '70s, and and uh, very manufactured music, you might yeah. say. Um, but he wound up picking Patti Smith, yeah, 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 as the artist in the song. That, which he, that he's talked about her his whole life. career. Yes, if you remember New Adventures in Hi-Fi, he finally got her on record with Ebo the Letter. Yeah, and actually in a documentary for that, uh, he talked about the bubblegum music stuff, and and it's good to see that he stuck to it. Because he is talking about it, and he shows him in a cab singing uh, "Brandy, You're a Fine Girl," <laughs> which I just hate. Uh, do you <laughs> see that? Um, uh, so maybe I'm going to shift back to, yeah, to, to yeah, the yeah. stuff of like, oh, well, now I just like I'm not going to like it. I'm in a weird mode where I um, I grew up on '80s music, okay, and I grew up on music of the late '70s. Uh, we use a lot of the Boston album Third Stage in our musical cuts. <laughs> <laughs> which I'll, I'll explain it to you off mic how, why this is an amazing right. album. But uh, I have a weird respect for it. And I was thinking about this today that a lot of the times that I was listening to this stuff was I was out mowing the lawn mm-hmm. because I was a kid. And yeah. so I was out mowing the lawn today listening to uh, Inter Armas new album. And I was like, is it safe to wear headphones and mow the lawn? Maybe. <laughs> I've, I've never thought about it. I, I have had them still here. Yeah. Yeah. Toes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Toes are still there. Um, and uh, and it, every time I do that, it's how I end up now discovering like the best music. You know that I was like, I really get it. And uh, Louis Weeks, I don't know if you know his music. He's no. DC based. I think you'd really like it. Um, when I listened to his album, I was hearing it through speakers, and then I wasn't getting it. But then I mowing the lawn, and it's a it's a weird like I guess attachment that I have to that. But but all that music as a result became very. Um, became very important so that I can talk about it and appreciate it and mm-hmm. not, and where a lot of people are like, Oh fuck the eighties. Like, <laughs> and like, well, I mean, that's fair. But at the same time, when like purple rain was being played on the radio in a town that, you know, was basically segregated, mm-hmm. it's a big thing. Yeah. And that, that's the eighties and that's what was going on. So I think from reading what you talked about with uh, Stipe about, that that might be where he's coming from a little bit. I don't know him. I've never met him. I, I was the biggest REM fan growing up. The biggest. And I wasn't an REM fan. No. Yeah. Are you now or no? no? I've I've appreciated who they are and mm-hmm. what they've done for music, uh, but I I uh, I never bought any of their records. Really? Yeah. Do you have one that you might have like been inclined to listen to a little more? Uh, Robin's tried so hard over the years to turn me on to uh, uh, REM. Uh, U2's another one. Yeah. And just don't. Just doesn't click. I think with your sensibilities, maybe uh, Zeropa. Uh, I, I like Zeropa. I mean, I, I, I appreciated Zeropa. You know, but I never there. find myself putting it on. And to me, that's yeah. the ultimate test. Do I... Do I Obviously, I, when Zeropa came out, it was important for me to listen to. We, I did a review uh, with, uh, I think it was Tom Moon, uh, for All Things Considered on the record, mm-hmm. uh, produced a review about it. But um, that's different than winding up uh, being something that you, it's Saturday morning and you want to listen to something that you love. Right. What are you going to put on? And it won't be Zeropa. Right, right. I mean, that, that, is, that is very true. Um, so, yeah, so the Michael Stipe one, stuck out to me i uh 
like I said, I did start jumping around. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I found in particular, uh, two, um, were the artists from Iceland. Right. Because yeah. we went over to Iceland recently. Oh, did you, did you go to the festival? I did not. We, oh. we, we just went and uh, we spent a week and drove around the entire island. We went, went around the ring road. It's pretty gorgeous. It's beyond gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, when if people were you shooting then photographs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hadn't been a long a photographer, but right. I, yeah, started uh, taking pics around then. It, it's the type of thing where you just aim it somewhere and you don't even <laughs> look. It's like uh, okay, you got it. Um, and what was fascinating to me, and and I knew you had gone for the Iceland airwaves thing, so I was looking up you talking about it because my thing was I. Um, wanted to see what a music scene is like and there and because i think it's vital to any community like if you don't have it i don't know what what's going on like if you landed somewhere and you're like we have no music like <laughs> that, that would be problematic uh we didn't actually find it but we found it in really small pockets and so like you like talking with jonesy yonzy yeah yonzy yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, talking with him was fascinating because if you've been to Reykjavik, you understand the scale of this country, which is tiny, and that these artists like that can come out of there is sort of fascinating. It's mind-boggling that that somebody who makes music that's mostly instrumental, fairly dramatic, and isn't in a language that anybody knows what the heck it is, yeah, uh, can sell records across the globe, yeah, and 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 even go backward two steps anybody ever found out about them that and it blows their mind too so yeah. we're, we're not alone in as oh, as that, music critics yeah. being fascinated by it but but as artists they are too yeah because because the country is very like isolated yeah i mean the country itself is isolated although now there's cheap flights over there but you know you go from a town you drive two hours you get to Vic, drive two more hours get to hofen yeah. and you know somewhere in that town oh here comes gizmo <laughs> Uh, somewhere in that town, uh, there's going to be that one guy. And that's what we ended up finding. Did you? Yeah. See, that's, I, that's cool. I, it, I didn't go there. I went there during a very busy yeah. music festival. Mm-hmm. So, so tell me about that. So uh, his, his name is Prince Polo. And he was actually, I a think. Prince. No. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> he, he's the guy in Iceland that you want to talk to. Um, huh. Now, he um, apparently is pretty well known there. Uh-huh. But in it's more of like an indie circles, like a DIY stuff. And uh, we hadn't found anything and then made it to Sevestafort, which is all the way on the uh, eastern side of the island. Mm-hmm. And it's down this gorgeous fjord. And it, uh, there's, I don't know, maybe 30 houses. Wow. And it, it's, but the thing about this town is that it's an artist collective. And so you have a thing that's a bar. It's a restaurant. It's a recording studio. <laughs> the same space. Yeah, the same <laughs> space. And, and literally, so you had one of the, uh, the alcohol places you could buy alcohol there. It had a lake. Uh, had one restaurant, <laughs> so wow. then had this place down the street, and they were playing this guy's music. And then as we were leaving, some of the students that were there, because students come from all over Europe actually to go to this town, wow. and uh, and some of the students just started like playing songs. And it was it was so, uh, it was exactly what I was looking for. It was, but it here like say specifically here in D.C., we've got a really great scene, um, but it is more. Uh, consumer facing yeah you know it's like you got to make it you got to make it um and uh, there what i found in the few instances that we found was it was people still doing it for the music 
And one of the things that uh, with a conversation with Yanzi that I thought was interesting was uh, two things. One is that driving around these absolutely astonishing looking landscapes that are barren. You hardly saw any animals. Um, yeah. It was, you know, these are basically glaciers and uh, and and I thought, wow, I completely understand the music of Sigurós. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then when I ask him and I say something like that to him, I say, well, I don't know. I, I can't help but think that I hear your music and I see your geography and they are completely connected. Yeah. And he doesn't see it. No. Right? And, Which is mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. But, I mean, I think that happens, uh, I guess this is a good way to sort of lead into that, is like how we develop as musicians and what and the art that we make. So you, you know, the name of the book is like the song, It Changed My Life. Or the thesis of it too, and um, you started out though not necessarily as a musician, right? I, I didn't. I'm, I was a failed musician. Yeah, took guitar lessons as a kid, and music teacher told my mom that I had no musical abilities whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I was what twelve, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and was but, that that but, was up in Brooklyn, or was that down here? Uh, at that time, I was living in Queens. I grew up in Brooklyn and in Queens okay. until I was in my late teens, um, but. I always listened to music in my room. I mean, I spent so many hours alone in my room. Yeah. It, it could be thought of as sad, but I had a great time. No, it's... <laughs> right. And uh, and so, but eventually music inspired me to want to play it and, and basically mm -hmm. say, screw it. Uh, I don't care that somebody once told me I don't have any musical abilities. I'm going to do this thing. What uh, not, not to spoil the book for anybody, yeah. but, but what was it that, that made that transition for you that you were like... Well, well, there are, I mean, there are a few things. The, the, the song that I always think about as the one that changed my life is uh, A Day in the Life by the Beatles. Mm -hmm. and, and I think more than anything, there's so many reasons, but more than anything, it was just like music can do all of this. It can yeah. tell a story. In this case, there were sort of two stories in A Day in the Life. If you spend time uh, listening to it, one is the beginning where John Lennon talks about a newspaper article he saw, mm -hmm. the death of a, a very wealthy uh, man that people didn't necessarily know, but uh, died at the prime of his life, this gorgeous guy and, and, and wealthy. Uh, and then McCartney's part, which is, you know, the woke up, fell out of bed part, yeah. uh, all about the very mundane parts of everyday life. Which and, is very McCartney. Uh, yeah, very McCartney. And very, and those two things together I found incredibly powerful. I found uh, that the preciousness of life in those two uh, what seemed like polar uh, ideas about life, mm -hmm. the preciousness of it and the boring everyday, you know, a notion of it and and then sonically uh with the orchestra uh lennon asked george martin to basically recreate what could be thought of as the end of the world yeah. uh sonically i mean nothing in music uh, the one good thing and maybe the only good thing about being old is having lived through that and and seeing that stuff progress and and in mm -hmm. 1967 when that record came out and that summer uh, there was nothing ever that sounded no. like that music. I, I would argue that there hasn't been anything since. I mean, that is a, it's a question I've been asking a lot of my friends, you know, in thinking about we, uh, you know, we lost David Bowie this year. Yeah. Uh, Prince, which I'm still not over like that. That was a big one. Uh, in case you couldn't tell, like Prince yeah. had a big impact on me right. as, a, as a child. And, uh, and uh, Merle Haggard, 
Yeah. Also a big one. And we were out seeing um, Paul Simon recently. At, I, I, saw, I saw, yeah, the Wolf Trap show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was a thing where I'm not the biggest fan of the album, the new one. I think it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's sort of like Paul Simon, like, who cares? Like, Paul Simon wrote all these songs, not you. So get over that, you know? And I started thinking about with all these great artists either passing away or uh, just not being active, what's there to replace it? And I'm not sure. You know, if you think, uh, my specific question to a friend was, if you think about Sting, and you think about his development from the police to I'd his... rather not. Well, okay. <laughs> but keep going, no, yeah, keep yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go, go. Now Sorry. you're on Sting's shit list, Bob. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, you know... But if you think about that and think about how uh, whether or not his musical stylings appeal to you, yeah. I think we can both agree he's a fantastic songwriter. He's gifted at that. And like, where's where's the next Sting? And maybe it doesn't have to be music like Sting, but I think you understand what I'm saying. I th- I think this world is full of great songwriters. Still, yeah. You did Mitski on your show recently, yes, and and. I think she's a brilliant songwriter. She sings from the heart. She sings from the heart in ways that you can, uh, in a place in your life, relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there are so many good songwriters, and and we can mourn the loss of Bowie and I do. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, who else makes music like that guy? Uh, who else gave everybody permission like that guy? Oh my gosh! We taped a review of that that Thursday and the intent was well first of all it was like we're obligated David Bowie is releasing a record yeah. we haven't talked about Bowie we have to talk about yeah. Bowie but we're like eh it's like period Bowie we're gonna you know as much as you like the album that came before it then we heard it and it was like holy right. crap and then at, literally as I'm mixing it I get a text that's like Bowie died wow and it was just sort of a thing like, what do we, and I, I just email people, like, what do we do? Like, how, how is this, like, do we say something? Do we just, like, what, I, because the whole thing was like, we really can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah. And when you then know how sick he was. Yeah. And you know now that he wrote this album knowing it was the last record he was going to make. Oh, yeah, that, that's and, just and, beautiful. That's. I mean, nothing could have been. A more planned out uh, homage to your own, to life and your own mm-hmm. life, and to what it means to have been alive and to uh, and to pass on. Yeah, uh, it's an extraordinary piece of art. Yeah, which, and to be fair to what we were talking about, it's not fair to expect everything to be on that level. In my forty-four years, I don't know that anything has been on that level. Yeah. It's hard to say. I, I think the one thing about music is that something doesn't have to be an ex- extraordinary to be massively effective on your life. Yeah. Uh, which is what, you know, I learned about doing this book, which mm-hmm. is it's not necessarily the the greatness or the skill or the craft in the song that will change your life, but it's where you are in life and what this song is saying, and how it hits you, and who you're with, 
and yeah. who you've left or who, who you are mad at or yeah. <laughs> where you want to go in your life. Uh, there's so many aspects as to what makes something important to you. Yeah. And it isn't necessarily craft. And so uh, that's what that's one of the, it goes right to the point of why I don't say awful things about music yeah. for the most part, except maybe Sting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just kidding. So, uh, but but and, th- and that is is that uh, there is no right or wrong. Yeah, it's what hits you. You know, it's, it's what is it that speaks to you? Yeah, I mean, Sting doesn't. Sp- speak to me and his no. songs don't speak to me and that's okay that's that's totally fine and, and that's that's the difference between being 16 and doubling that yeah i right? think i think it's an age thing and it's, 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 it's something though that you sort of want to um your cat is very acrobatic yes by the they way. are they yeah. are but it's good because now both both of them have never been down here we've had a guest down here so oh wow so this is good um you know it's well like uh you know nick and amelia from so yeah, 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 right, yeah. Right. So I uh, I talked to them, and when we reviewed their album, uh, we have a guy who's a drummer on there, and he's just not into electronic music at mm-hmm. all. And so what he he didn't quite understand uh, Nick's talent, which is immense. It is. And whether whether or not it his, their music speaks to you, those two individually and together, mm-hmm. the talent is yeah. like immense. And they do speak to me for sure. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and it was funny because there was this whole thing of uh, Amelia's mom actually sort of trolled us on twitter <laughs> tell, but but tell we're, me more I, I, what do you uh, mean what do you mean oh so she she literally um it was just one night uh i got this tweet directed at us and she's like i just listened to this thing you guys should be ashamed of yourselves but it was all i didn't know what was going on i was like who is this and i figured it out i'm like oh no and that was actually a turn so what happened you diss the music on yeah, the show that, that, okay that's, that's what the thing. I didn't understand. So, so this the guy who was on was didn't have very nice things to say about it. It mm. was fair from a, I mean, he's a very skilled drummer from a drummer's perspective, yeah. but he just didn't get the music. And right. it, and it was, uh, it was actually a failure on my part, not to bring that to like contextualize that in the episode. But I asked Nick and Amelia about it. And the first thing out of both of their mouths is like, it's fine. I, not everybody likes everything. Yeah, right. What? It, nobody would want a world if everybody liked everything. <laughs> like none. It's yeah. like, you and you know you were talking about spending all this time as a kid trying to convince people that this this record this one mm. and like i've noticed now like it's like just one try oh you don't like it that's cool mm-hmm. it's fine let's move on to the next yeah um and so you in in writing this book you learned that lesson sort of that the weird ways that people are inspired. Yeah, and and also the fact that it's not necessarily uh, the greatest song on planet Earth that might have launched Jimmy Page. You know, yeah. it's it's a you know. Did you tri- want it to be? Like, what well, were your I, expectations? Uh, I had a feeling it was going to be a bluesy tune because uh-huh. uh, he certainly leans that way, but I didn't imagine it to be a. a t- I imagined it to be a tune that he dug deep and found some great old American right. blues artists that maybe, you know, at the time, because uh, we're talking the 50s here, mm-hmm. at the time that uh, most people don't know, uh, didn't know a lot of the American blues artists, even in America, you know, it just wasn't widely distributed uh, and certainly wasn't played greatly on the radio. 
and certainly didn't think American blues music was played on British radio, but I thought that's what he would have dug into. And in mm-hmm. a way, he did by picking this fellow Lonnie Donegan, yeah. uh, who was a, what's known as a skiffle artist. So he was an artist who sort of mixed jazz and uh, early pre-rock and roll, and it almost feels at times like rockabilly mm-hmm. uh, and blues, and, uh, and picked a song called Rock Island Line, which yeah. uh, you know, is an, a great old blues song, but uh, it totally made sense once, when, you have once, it. once I yeah. understood it. Yeah. And that's what I try to do in the book. It's not just finding out what is the song that changed them, but uh, how do we hear that song and what they do? Which, yeah. you, which, not in every case, but in almost all cases, uh, you can. You can draw a line mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, Tom Waits to Hosier if you want to. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. You can draw lines that you wouldn't expect. Um, and that that was the coolest part for me. And for him, it was like, okay, fine. So this fellow, Lonnie Donegan, took blues music and sort of jazzed it up or, as they would yeah. say, skiffled it up. Mm-hmm. And what Page did to blues music was like, oh, my God, right? <laughs> Open the gates of hell. That's right. I mean, really he, uh, yeah. I, it's um, actually a good example of, of skiffling is what Cass McCombs just did the last one. Uh, his crew out there, Skifflin. It's oh, actually yeah? the name of the record. It's really? fantastic. Oh. Yeah, it's a lot of old uh, stuff. It's him and Neil Casal, who was uh-huh. with Ryan Adams, a couple other people. Uh, you should check it out. Yeah, well, um, yeah, that mythologizing people in your head. I don't. I, I don't ever want to stop doing that. <laughs> but I know it changed when I was younger to what it is now, and part of it is doing like stuff like this. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, before. I ever like met you at a show, I have this vision of like, this is what Bob is. Holy shit. This guy's doing this thing. And it's amazing. How could anybody ever do this thing? And then I met you and I was like, yeah, oh, you're just a cool dude. <laughs> and, and the more artists I meet like that, I think you said something at the uh, sweet 16 thing where, where you meet these people and you find out that they're really just super nice people because yeah. they're super creative. But that's one of the coolest things about having spent, a lot of time with artists I love is that you discover that people who make the music you love are often really wonderful people. Like how wonderful is Laura Gibson? <laughs> Amazing. Right? Uh, Talk to her. In fact, we, last night, did you, were you at the show last night? I, I, I couldn't make it. So uh-huh. Laura Gibson played in Washington, D.C. Uh, last night. Uh-huh. I mean, we're recording here on a Sunday. Uh, and uh, she's just got a, an amazing warm heart. She was our first Tiny Desk I know. concert. I artist there would be no tiny desk concert if it wasn't for laura did you pick her because you knew her or because she was the one it was, who was like it was based on a it was a sort of a joke yeah uh, meaning that uh we went to south by southwest of folks at npr uh stephen thompson and i went and saw laura gibson we were really excited because we'd never seen her mm-hmm. at that time her voice was even quieter than it is yeah. now she's got a lot more power in her yeah because empire builders yeah powerful it really is uh, and um, South by Southwest happens, for those who don't know, in venues that are not normally music venues necessarily. Uh, they happen in, during uh, what is known as March Madness, which has nothing to <laughs> yes. do with music. Yep. And so we went to see her at a bar, and literally the speaker uh, was facing out the door to get people in. 
So when you were in the space, you actually didn't hear right, any of the right, PA. Right, right, right. And uh, people were at a bar watching uh, some basketball game that was uh, making people very excited. So we didn't hear Laura. And she came off the stage after the show and we said, you know, we really actually couldn't hear you, Stephen Thompson and I. And Stephen said, well, you ought to just come play in, at, at, <laughs> in, at our office, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and when he said that, my, like, my, the TV producer in me that I used to be and the audio engineer in me said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> seems like a good idea. This, this could be really kind of cool because yeah. one of the things that I think, uh, that, not I think, but one of the things I love about live music is its intimacy, or it can be, because mm-hmm. I, I like going to small venues, don't go to big venues for the most part. Uh, you started a few years ago, though, right? I started as in I gave up my 25-year boycott of large yeah, I venues. Sat, I sat in front of you at, uh, at it was like, you and then me and then uh, Josh Burdett and Ross at Peter Gabriel. Oh, that's right. That was yeah. yeah that was the show that that broke my. Um, was it? That was that, yeah, the that one? was that show. Yeah. yeah. So uh, for I guess it was uh, the late seventies was the last arena show I went to. I guess it was Bowie. Um, would have been. Uh, I was really hoping you'd say it was Sticks. <laughs> <laughs> God, do I? That's another one I can't. I can't even tolerate. No, yeah, and so, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I guess it was the Fame tour in Philly uh, that I went to. But anyway, I just back in the day, uh, being old again, back in the day, uh, large spaces and music did mm. not work well. You could not really hear. It was they didn't do the sort of time array of speakers that they do right. now, where where you can hear pretty well from most of the places you sit uh just the technology to make music in a basketball arena just didn't exist well and so i just said screw it and for that i missed things like led zeppelin i never saw led zeppelin one of my favorite bands on planet earth uh oh i didn't know that yeah uh and there's many bands i didn't see because of my um my internal stubbornness yeah and uh, at it but uh peter gabriel uh, we were trying to get him to do a guest DJ on mm-hmm. all songs considered, and uh, and at the last minute, his management called up and said he can't just get to your studio. Can you come to us? I said, well, you don't understand how this works. I set up microphones and a mixer, and we play music, and you know we're listening to it live. We do everything live. We don't put things in later, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we just I just don't want to. I want him to really react to things that he picks as the DJ or. Or react to things I play for him. Which is a fantastic they, way to do and, and they said thanks. And they, and and he said and they said, oh, we'll set you up a studio. I said, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, yeah. Come, come to the what is it, George Patriot Mason Center, Patriot yeah. Center, mm-hmm. and uh, and we'll set you up a studio in the back. I said, I, I said, but do you, you don't understand. I like to. My hands need to be on the mixer. I need to like, and I need to have all my stuff, all my music in front of me in case he speaks about something. I want to be able to like right. get right to it. They said, no problem. Just bring your computer. I said. Okay. <laughs> so I went there <laughs> expecting this to be just a disaster. And yeah. it was just as wonderful as could be. And he was wide open. And we had uh, everything I could do at NPR, uh, I could do right there with him. And I could, and it was a free-flowing conversation. And it's four thirty, five o'clock, and the conversation's over. And I've got the show I want. And uh, and I was ready to leave. And, and they said, so you're staying for the show, right? I said, well, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah. And I had just an amazing time. It was, was amazing. A, it show. was a great it show. Was, uh, I was one of three who shot that show, and that was uh-huh. when. Uh, when was it? It was twelve or twenty twelve. I'm not, not going to yeah. remember, but I, it was before I took any photos at all. Yeah. And, um, yeah. 
and he was one of those amazing artists. Some people like that, uh, that you're sitting there and, and you know this now from being in a pit, you sort of wait for the shot. So you, you, for people who don't understand, the pit is the photo pit that yes. you get to, uh, a handful of people get special passes to shoot the usually the first three songs mm-hmm. of a show, uh, and they get nice access. If, if they're lucky, there's a pit. Yes. A lot of times at the 930 right. Club, there is not a pit, yeah. which is a whole different ballgame. Right, right. But shows like this, there's a huge pit. It's nice. You can sit on a lounge chair if you like. You can just wait for stuff to happen. Right. Uh, and, uh, Sit in a lounge chair? You could. <laughs> Keep um, going. Um, but, <laughs> uh, and I have him in my viewfinder, and I'm, I'm waiting for it. And he stops a verse, and nobody outside that you can see it, stops a verse, looks down and mouths, take the shot. Really? And it's stuff like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that that show for me was just like, first of all, I was shooting Peter Gabriel. Yeah. But it was like, oh, yeah. I've had very few uh, stuff like that. I had Mavis uh, in my viewfinder, Staples, and she like this is at Newport Folk Festival. The first oh. year I went up there, and uh, she's you going this year? No, oh. no. Yeah. I, I hopefully will go next year. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's like winks at me. <laughs> my knees got weak. Did you did you get the shot? Oh yeah, All oh right. yeah, I got the shot. It's. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where we're going with this, but like talking about that show was like, it's like, yeah, that was a great, great show. Well, I, I mean, just talking about f- photographing for a minute, yeah. I, I, I'm very new to it. Uh, I started taking pictures at shows, not with my phone, but with a real camera, uh, just about two and a half years ago, maybe, and uh, and I do okay. You good? At and it. I think one of the things I do, the reason I do okay, is that I really feel like I can understand when the, that moment is about to happen. That's, that's the beginning and end I've of it. I've seen enough shows to I, know. That's the beginning and end of it because I, my, first, my first thing, and it, I wouldn't call it an assignment because it was, I'm the editor. So self-assigned. Like, self-assigned. Uh, it was because a photographer, a photographer fell through for Newport. And the first person I met up there was uh, Chantel Mitchell. Oh, yeah. So in. she used to shoot for And all, I was like, oh, you're from D.C. And yeah. this guy, you mind if I shadow you? And so for the first day, I just shattered her, watched watch what she did, yeah. and checked it out. And then was like, "All right, I think I got this." <laughs> and then, uh, and then went on the next day, and I was just like, oh, "Yeah, I definitely, I think we're good." But that is, I think, the key, the whole key to it. You have you shoot with a Sony A six hundred, the the six thousand, the 6, Alpha six thousand, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is a mirrorless camera. Right. Which yeah. you know, some old school photographers would be like, "Bob, what are you?" <laughs> like that is but the reality is i mean even this phone like i have in my hand yeah it is about getting the image and it is about that moment right and right now uh and i'm not just saying this to blow smoke up your ass like you're taking some of the best shots in dc in, in history it's Thank you. and you can see that you understand the music i, f- I feel really uh it's a no- whole new level of appreciation for me of of yeah. The artist, which I, I mean, I used to basically take pictures with my phone that basically said, hey, I'm at the show tonight. That's what my pictures would say. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It was nothing deeper than Good that. Good for Snapchat. And I did the best thing I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I feel like I can try and tell a story of the evening with a picture. Yeah. And, and that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I think it's a, uh, the hope is not from ego, but the hope is that like playing a song on the show, 
someone will see this Instagram of Laura yeah. Gibson last night, which actually I haven't put up yet, of Laura Gibson, and they'll say, what an interesting face and that expression. Who, yeah. who is this person? And go check them out, hopefully live. Yeah. Uh, and and so that that's the hope. In the, I mean, the Instagram is tiny desk for anybody who wants to see any of them. It's my, yeah, my I, place I, I put. Uh, I think they know it. <laughs> Yeah, you never know, man. You never know. You um, never know. You know, and so to that point, though, you know, you've moved from being interested in music to being a musician or trying to be a musician to being a journalist to being a sort of TV producer to being in a band mm-hmm. to being not in a band but doing this thing. Like, this creativity that you have that is, I, I think, what I get from just talking to you over the years, is actually driven all by music. Is it, like, how is that, is that just sparking this idea that you can sort of do whatever you want and just give it a shot? Well, I think, uh, I think you should always, if you have a passion for something, you should try and figure out how yeah. you can do it. So, I mean, that that was, to me, we talked about the song that changed my life being a day in the life, mm-hmm. but the attitude that got me to actually say, screw all this, mm-hmm. meaning <laughs> money paying job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and wanting to play music uh, in the late 70s was the punk movement. Uh, yeah. So it's, you know, for me, it's 1978. Uh, I was working in a, in a chain of record stores in town called Waxy Maxi. So I was uh, at mm-hmm. that point uh, mostly a ware- running the warehouse after having run stores for a while and being a, a buyer of the weird imports and stuff. And uh, it was a pretty good gig. I, I had no complaints. I, I made, uh, you know, about two and a quarter an hour and <laughs> all was good. Um, but I felt like that movement, that punk movement, uh, unlike the rock movement that I had loved before, that was uh, that needed a lot of money yeah. and uh, and connections to make happen, uh, the punk movement basically said, "Just do it." it this yep. is not, and we come back to this. It's not necessarily about skill, or I should say, craft is probably the better word. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't have to be a a great guitar player, or in this case, I, I want to buying a synthesizer. Yeah, I don't have to be a great synthesizer player. But do something with that instrument that no one else is doing. Yes. Do something with that instrument that's, that's, that is an do expression. Do something that's going to affect somebody. Right. And, and it's an expression of what I want sonically mm-hmm. or that's a different vision than anyone else might have. And, and, uh, and so I basically quit a job, bought a, an Art Odyssey, and formed a group called Tiny Desk Unit with my friend Michael yep. Barron. In fact, um, Michael and I still make music together all these years later. Yeah. Uh, this is all in Washington, D.C. Uh, Michael Barron and I do a, have a project called Danger Painters. We was make an album every single year. And that's the RPM Challenge. That's the RPM Challenge. So it, it's, again, that, that idea that you challenge yourself, in this case, to make an album within a month. Uh, all new material. You start February 1st. You end February 28th. Uh, and I've been doing that now for nine years, eight of them with Michael uh, and this Danger Painters. We put out an album this year. Yeah, uh, and, and you, uh, you guys talking about that on All Songs nine years ago inspired me to try. I still haven't. You? I still haven't done it. Oh, I almost did it. I I you just plain I, must. I, I know. I, I understand. That's, still, why, that's why there's a drum kit behind you because I'm like <laughs> I, that was the last thing. I'm like, okay, I can do this all myself. Yeah, record a bunch of cat sounds, and <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be off to the races. 
Um, you know, and is Danger Pit is that's that's not the show that you had to play on Friday night, was it? Uh, Friday night. No, I do this thing that's odd thing called uh, um, open band. It's a uh, it's a it's. Do you know what contra dancing is? Yes. Most people don't. Contra dancing is just for others who don't. It's like square dance and that you it's a dance with a caller and the caller tells the dancers how to move and what they're going to do mm-hmm. and then everybody does it and it's partners and groups moving and shifting and it's very geometric and beautiful to watch the open band it, which is all of this is at Glen Echo Park here in uh, in uh, in Maryland uh, is basically anybody can get up on stage and be part of the band good people are up front and they're mic'd the people who are like myself are behind them I play in that case. I play a twelve-string guitar, yeah. uh, and it's mostly it's Irish jigs and reels, it's um, mountain music, it's Cajun music, and it's just hugely fun. How so, did you get into that? Uh, when um, when my kid was born, uh, I kind of figured that I was not going to play electronic music with him. What <laughs> my art odyssey was not going to be the yeah, yeah. And I bought from somebody a, a guitar for fifty bucks, a, a Yamaha twelve-string. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I still play and love, and it's been you know twenty five years or something. Yeah. And uh, and then as my kid was growing up, I thought it really swell to play music with him. Uh, and we found this woman who would take kids uh, to an old Irish pub. Pub in this in, in this case was uh, Nanny O'Brien's yeah. uh, in uh, Woodley Park. Uh, back in the days when people smoked in clubs and they take they bring them to the back they'd sit oh, a bunch of good old days. seven eight nine and ten yeah. year olds around a big long table with pictures of sprite in this case yeah uh and the kids would call tunes so basically uh the first kid on the right would have to start a tune and everybody just followed and that's oh, wow. how they play and so they played around uh that way and that's how kids learn tunes and and i would bring my guitar and i'd play along so my son and i sort of got into uh, Irish music through that. Oh, wow. And then we started doing Irish music camps. And then we went to a friend of mine who was my co-worker at, uh, at All Things Considered, told me about dance camps that she would go to with her family. And uh, and that's where I learned about contra dancing. Joined a waltz band and started <laughs> playing in a waltz band. Uh, and it was just so, it was like, it is the polar opposite to the electronics that I make. And sure. it's really kind of cool. How does that, though, uh, how, how do you feel like that, actually changes or just enriches like what you do with the electronic stuff because clearly i mean like anything you can do mm-hmm. is going to like change it and, and a lot of people we've had down here have said step outside your like comfort zone like robert ellis was like oh yeah you should take jazz lessons I'm like, <laughs> yeah i want to take jazz lessons that's a good question i never really thought about how it uh how it affects my electronic stuff i find it uh just a completely different way to think about music in this case you're not writing anything you are yeah. you're simply playing traditional music. Uh, you're playing with a huge group that you don't rehearse with. Uh, and you're doing it for the sole purpose of getting people out on the floor to move and dance uh, with no pretension. No one's going to come up to you and say, hey, you, that was a great yeah. guitar solo or, you know, none of that. It's not, right. it's not about e- It's the most egoless music yeah. uh, on the planet. Um, and it's and it's very family oriented, very much unlike the music we will often go see, which is yeah. very, you know, you get your certain age group and certain type of people at yes. a given show in a given room. Uh, this is, you know, kids who are, you know, 15 and people who are 75 and 80 all on the yeah. floor together. And it's really cool. That music yeah. uh, can do that. Which so. at the end of the day, I mean, it's, you know, you talk to a lot of rock artists um, 
I don't know how far you dip into like classical music and stuff or jazz or other stuff, but would you tend to agree that maybe that's the point of all this music is to get people out like metaphorically on the floor? Um, I think the point of it may be to, to get like-minded people together in a room. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure whether it matters whether they dance because most people yeah, yeah. certainly in... I'm not going to dance. In, right. <laughs> don't. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you're dancing internally. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's what I've been doing for years. Yes. Uh, although I, I, I do, like you say, shake when You're, you're when pogoing it at car seat, <laughs> but that music demands it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but, but I think one of the beauties, and, and, you know, Carrie Brownstein talks about this when she... Uh, um, talks about her love of the replacements and what yeah. she was looking for uh, when she listened to music and she felt like an outsider and she wanted to find yeah. uh, something like-minded. Uh, she wanted to find people who also felt like outsiders who could join together and music was the uniting force. And I think that is often, especially in when you're younger, is what you're looking for. You're looking for people with an aesthetic that you're in tune with and music is just a focal point uh, yeah. for an aesthetic uh you can often go to a show uh i, I was did this series for a while called soul of a band s-o-l-e <laughs> where i would take pictures of the shoes of artists and yeah. and and then i put uh, them I up online robin's not really a big fan <laughs> <laughs> and you and you'd have to match the music with just by seeing the shoes and and the truth of the matter is you can look around a room of full of people uh, and and uh, you will see an aesthetic in their shoes that matches the music, that matches, often it will match, although the musician may have a little more money than the average person in the crowd, depending right. on which where they are in life. But, but basically, uh, there is an aesthetic, uh, both in fashion and uh, hairstyle and all that stuff that connects people together to make them feel uh, like they belong. Yeah. Um, as far as professionally going forward, all these things you've done, uh, you've been, how long have you been in NPR? Uh, I'm hit, I'm on 28 years. Yeah. When, when do you just be like, you know, I think I'll take a, take a trip, retire and then just start doing <laughs> Re this. Retire is not something I'll ever do. No. At least not, it's not ever. Who knows, right? I mean, who really knows life? Yeah. But it's not anything I intend to do. Um, but I must say that I, I always want to feel connected to the music, and maybe there'll be music, and and you see this in the show that I do. I don't connect uh, much to hip hop music. Yeah, uh, there's a, uh, there's a number of very popular musics that I no longer connect with. And you don't with. apologize for it. No, it just and, is. And, and I don't and, think and you should. And there's nothing. Yeah. Everything is wonderful about that music. It's some of the most innovative and brilliant music yeah. out there. But music has to touch my soul and speak to me, and yeah. and so I don't often. Not it's not a across the board but i don't often get feel connected with it and so i guess my feeling is as long as i find myself connecting with new music being being made uh then i want to be doing this thing and if music so happens and it outpaces me in some way or just doesn't speak to me yeah. i'm never going to be dishonest about the music i love and and that's when i would stop but i don't see that happening i'm i am and I, I say this to a lot of people who are my peers who who grew up in the in the sixties, uh, who, you know, will say, Oh, that was the best music ever, man. And I'll say, No, you got it wrong. It's like 
every generation has the greatest music. You every know? generation does have the greatest and, music. And I, I, I'm constantly inspired by, uh, the, I mean, our show is 16 years old, constantly inspired, inspired by the last 16 years of music. And it's, uh, although, the, uh, well, I'll say this, it's every bit as good as the music I heard growing up. Mm. The two differences are this. When you hear music as a teen for the first time, it connects with you in a way that will never be the same as you grow up. I could massively love car seat headrest, and I do, Mm -hmm. uh, but it won't speak to me about like hormonally, right? Yeah, no, it won't. Or it won't be the first time I've ever heard a guitar like that. Right. So... There are so many things about it that won't hit me in the visceral way that it did when I was 15 years old. Uh, you can't change that. And I, th- I think at some point you give up chasing that. Yeah. You and, have to. Right. If you, if, you wanna, if you want your life to be enjoyable. But, but I think what happens for some people is they say, that music that I heard when I was 15, be they an 80s <laughs> kid or, 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 or mm-hmm. 21st century kid, is to think that that's because that music hit you so viscerally, because you were so open to it, because it was also new and fresh, that it was the best, that's where the trapping of like, you get into where you don't grow into anything new. And that's where people become, and a lot of people in my generation um, ha- just grow stale. Yeah. They do, and they stop looking, or they, they don't understand that, okay, music may not hit you in that way, but there are many, many ways that it will, sonically and lyrically maybe you know it won't be about you breaking up with a girlfriend and you right. don't connect with it on that level but you can connect to a song about breaking up with your girlfriend and moving on in a way that you can with uh leaving a job or yeah. child leaving home or losing a loved one or all the other things that are so universal about yeah. life that are just about loss and change it might not be your girlfriend but you understand the emotion of what's being said yeah. and so you just have to think of music in a broader way well, cool. Um, yeah, don't stop being excited by this stuff, Bob. I, <laughs> Thanks. I think what uh, deal, <laughs> deal. I think, you know what you're doing is uh, is has made a lot of people's lives better, if even for like five minutes. Thanks, man. It made it better, and uh, thank you for coming down and do this. Come you back bet. anytime, and I, man. And I must say, I'm always so appreciative of when people come up to me at shows and yeah, and and talk and so forth. It's uh, yeah, you hear that, people? Go uh, go talk to them. Yeah, yeah. You don't, can spot them. <laughs> yeah, I do wear that hat. <laughs> the hat and the bolo. Yeah, just not during the music, but once the show is over. I love yeah. talking to people. It's it's inspiring. Uh, it, and, and it helps me understand, you know, how people connect with uh, with music. Cool. Thanks a lot, Bob. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Bob for taking the time to come down to the basement. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I said it up front, and, and I think out of that conversation, you really get that. We look up to people who do things and often don't think that we can just do them ourselves. And then you, you meet them and you talk to them and you realize, oh, they're just like me. Uh, maybe a little more motivation, uh, but just like me. So at some one point, you know, Bob was just a kid who loved music. And, uh, Along the way, he had a couple ideas. Some of them were uh, excellent ideas, and at least one uh, 
was one of the best ideas I think to happen to the uh, music industry, the creative universe as a whole. Um, starting his radio show, All Songs Considered, it in many ways taught us how to talk about things a little differently, and uh, and appreciate things uh, rather than just tear into them. And uh, I think for that, uh, we all owe a uh, an undeniable debt of gratitude to uh, to his work. Uh, not just the work back then, the work he's doing now, and then the work he is going to continue to do, as you heard. Uh, so, you know, you can find Bob at All Songs Considered. They have a few more uh, listeners than us, but that's okay. We're gaining steam. Uh, you can also check out his new book, which I recommend you do. It's Your Song Changed My Life. It's conversations with artists about the song or moment that changed their life. And it's a lot like this conversation. And it's uh, talking just in, in plain terms with people about what is important about music to them. And that's honestly, you know, we talked off mic a little bit and, you know, he's asking about why we do this and that's, and that's it to just say, Hey, this is, this is so important. We have to talk about it and we hope we get you talking about it. And, you know, besides going out and being in a band, there's really nothing better uh, than doing that. So, uh, so thanks to Bob. Thanks to, uh, Hugo over at NPR for helping to set this up. Uh, hopefully this won't be the last time you hear from him. Maybe it will be. I don't know. See him out of the show. Say hi. I certainly will. Um, before we get out of here this week, uh, we always play a song. Always, always, always. And we had to put a lot of thought into this one. It's a 200th episode. And originally, I'll spoil this for you, but the song we were going to play uh, was Holly Ann off Boston's Third Stage. And, you know... People like Casey Ray, if you're listening, might laugh, but I will have you down here. I will explain this, the genius of this album to you. Uh, but it, it's in our it's in our podcast. It's the end credits uh, and the beginning credits, actually, part of it, uh, for a reason. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating exploration of at least the album of uh, 70s rock made in the late 80s. But uh, that, I think, would be self-serving. Uh, so w- what we try to do with these is to shine a light elsewhere. Um, and so we thought, and we thought, and we thought, and we said, you know what? Uh, how many of you guys have heard of Roadkill Ghost Choir? I don't think enough. Not only are they uh, our friends, uh, they are one of the best bands we've ever encountered in the short time that we've been doing this. In fact, they you know, we met them right at the beginning, and, you know, we usually catch up about once a year. Uh, they usually come over and stop here on tour. Last time it was the last date of their tour. It's a great, great evening. Um, but we check in and see see where we, we've been and, and, you know, talk from time to time, see, hey, what's going on? Uh, and it's been a joy, I think, for all of us here to see them develop uh, and uh, very much in the way that we have developed and just keep growing and growing and growing. Uh, well, they grew another album. Uh, they ran into a little trouble. The album is... They were on a label. Now they're not, but they have the album. So, um, if you're out here listening to this and you're like, hmm, I run a record label and I am going to like this next song, uh, get in touch. We'll put you in touch with them uh, because I don't think there's anybody more deserving of success here. But... Uh, the name of the album that they have out is False Youth, etc. It is one of the best albums of this year, in my humble opinion. And we're going to play the track cassette memory for you right now. So if you're ready, um, this is probably new to you. 
here's a song off False Youth, etc. Cassette Memory. Thank you. 
Name of the track is Cassette Memory. Uh, it is off the upcoming at some point album False Youth, etc. by our good friends Roadkill Ghost Choir. Uh, if you're a fan of that band, you love that. Uh, that probably gets you excited for the album, and you should be because it's fantastic. In fact, uh, you know, they went a little 80s on the last one, um, and uh, we heard this one, and, and my lady Daria said, Oh, they made an album just for you, and then sort of did without knowing it. They also, on this album, quote Louis Weeks, uh, who I played for them when they were in town. Haha, ha, ha. I think it had not come out yet, and uh, the last time they were in town, and sat him down in front of it, and they were like, Whoa! Who is this guy? And uh, and that's how it works. You know, we all just share the music that uh, that we love, and then people keep sharing and sharing and sharing and uh, get together. So yeah, that's our two hundredth podcast, guys. Should we, I don't know if we're gonna do two hundred more. Uh, probably do two hundred more because you know, like like I said, we're not really that smart. But uh, it is it has been a pleasure to uh, speak to you. Wear out my voice over low these many years doing this, and I uh, can't wait to do it some more. And I uh, can't wait to see what we're going to get into in the, in the, the next 100, next 200, next 300. So, um, we'll see you again in a few short days. And until then, be good to your ears, be better to your people. See you later. Kenobi! <laughs> 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 <laughs>